Welcome to A Neat Dram. I'm your host, Andy Crittenden. This week, we sat down with Celeste Williams. She is the Democratic candidate for the 3rd Congressional District of Arkansas, uh, running against Steve Walmack in the November elections. Um, we had a wonderful conversation. She's way too easy to talk to. Um, we covered everything from education, healthcare reform, uh, racial inequality, workers' rights, even abortion. Um, so enjoy. Celeste, hi. Hello there. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> it's I, it, the pleasure's all mine. I really appreciate you giving us the time to come in and chat. Um, I know you're busy uh, between work and family and um, campaign, but I'm coming into a place in life where I think that politics are pretty important, and in mm-hmm. a way that I never understood before. And in doing that, I've started looking at things and I realized that I need to know what I'm talking about when I go to the ballot. So that's why I wanted to talk was to give you the opportunity to touch on any big issues, expound on them in a way that you might not be able to in any kind of a news segment or a campaign clip that you that you have to put together for time constraints and just get some information out there in the world for folks that need to get in the ballots this November that can actually be educated on the incumbent, which I've put my words in the world out there about uh, Mr. Walmack, but then also the competition that is, in my opinion, the first time a real competitor's been, opponent's been put up against him in um, a decade. So um, why don't you just take off? I'd, sure. I'd, I'd like a, a little bit of an intro because there's some funny little points about your history that I actually have parallels to. So please. Yes, I think we do have some commonalities. So um, my name is Celeste Williams and I am a family nurse practitioner a mom of four, wife, and um, I am running for U.S. Congress. And, you know, the, the, my impetus for running was, um, quite honestly, when the 2016 presidential election occurred, I um, woke up the next morning and just thought, wow. <laughs> what, what happened? The, yes, I truly felt like the ground had shifted beneath my feet. We, like uh, I realized that my view of who we are as a nation um, maybe wasn't quite so accurate. And that was shocking. And then, you know, really the whole repeal the Affordable Care Act um, move lit a fire under me. I mean, I, I'm not, I was never somebody who was super active in politics. I always paid attention and tried to know what was going on in the world. But whenever you work in healthcare, right. which I have for over 23 years, politics is personal. Right. And people don't see that. And every day I would have phone calls from patients who can't afford medications that I have prescribed or I order a test looking for to um, help diagnosing a problem Mm -hmm. that I think that they have and they can't afford it. And I think that is an indictment on us as a society. And, you know, I will be completely honest that the Affordable Care Act was flawed. It didn't make health care less expensive. It, it certainly helped a lot of people who have lower income, but it a lion's share of that burden was put on middle-class families. Yes. And they are already operating their family budget on pretty thin margins. Shoestrings. Yes. When we have almost half of the country that doesn't even have $400 in their savings account, we have a problem. 
I agree. Okay, so listen, I love that we jumped in, and I want to just keep going. We can talk about intros later. I want to know what you think is the opportunities that we have if you were to get this, uh, if you get where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the attack? What's the approach? How do you go from from where we are, seeing what happened whenever we put together a pretty good idea that had its flaws, mm-hmm. and the the venom that's come out of that, and the split camp that's that that that's that that's created. Um, as someone that's never in, until uh, February of this year, I have never had health insurance. Yeah. I was on my parents' insurance until I hit a certain age, and I've been fortunate enough that I've I'm a member of the Cherokee Nation, so I do have the opportunity to go over there in necessity. Um, but I'm getting into a point in my life where I'm starting to notice age. I'm starting to notice things, and I would like to know that I'm ahead of these things. Yeah. If it weren't for the benefit that I have through my employment, I wouldn't have that access. Mm-hmm. How do we address that in a way that doesn't? maintain division how do we move forward i think number one we have to acknowledge the fact that every single person in this country is going to need health care at some point and we need to stop playing partisan games with public health issues this and is an basic issue of morality healthcare. it is it absolutely is i don't care if you spew hate in my office and say repugnant things to me you're still a human being who has value and you still deserve the best care that I can give you. So uh, the way I see it, how I think that this is a difference between looking at it as a business model based on profit for mm-hmm. um, um, maintenance health. How do we how do we how do we appeal to the people that are going to hang on to that tooth and nail and make them understand that there's profit to be made a good a business model can be put around preventative health because in my opinion that's the difference absolutely and and so one prevention is way cheaper than paying on the back end right um but i want to kind of get to the how Mm -hmm. um so i certainly support having a public option which we don't have um and that could help drive the cost down and allow people to have a an alternative to healthcare for profit. And I certainly, you know, I, I personally do not work and would not work in a facility that is for profit because I see a very different um, motivating factor for providing care. And if your bottom line is providing quality care versus making a profit, right. I think there's a difference. Right. Um, that, so this is where I get, this is where I feel completely ignorant with regards to the, the tie-in of healthcare when it comes to, um, politics, because we agree, which is great. Um, but I don't represent the people that you're trying to get to vote for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I did some, some numbers digging today, Bo and I like numbers. Yeah. Um, I want to take just a half a second to point out what you're running for and who that constitutes because i think that speaking to them is a difference between our conversation and what needs to take place mm-hmm. so for those that don't know that are listening um arkansas's third congressional district is a weird upside down horseshoe shape that takes the northwest corner of the state it consists of about half of sebastian and crawford county um, all of washington benton carroll boone and marion county about half of newton county the northwest corner of searcy county and all of polk county mm-hmm. that 
is a population of a little over 800,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's got a 50-50 split of male-female. The median age is 35, so it's me, age-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of them being over 18, uh, 75%, 618,000 people over 18. So we're talking about 75% of the population of this district can vote and should vote. Um, we'll talk about the racial breakdown whenever we get to that aspect, because I do mm-hmm. want to talk about that. But... of the population of the 3rd Congressional District are U.S. citizens born in the U.S. as Mm -hmm. opposed to um, abroad to U.S. parents. Only 9 are foreign-born, and 75% of them ID as veteran. Mm -hmm. Does that all sound about right? Mm -hmm. So you're talking to the people in a a really general sense. Mm -hmm. You're talking to the people that don't have anything to benefit from the system changing because it's going to affect the way that they look at it. Or they've never had to consider it because they either have always had access to health care or they've had access to someone, a provider, a, a parent, mm-hmm. a, a somebody's health care program. Um, and generally speaking, they fall into a healthy demographic. Mm-hmm. So why should they care? So I actually think that they do care. And I also think, you know, historically Arkansas, and even now, there's a lot of rural and poverty areas in Arkansas and you know we like to think that northwest Arkansas is the land of opportunity and it is like sure it, it true it is but we also have a lot of people living on the margins here absolutely too. and you know I, I always come back to the fact that there are a whole lot of people who don't have an income that they can meet their basic needs, meaning healthcare, housing, food, cell phone, and transportation. Right, or at least access to transportation. Yes, and we certainly don't have a public transportation system that's very useful here. And, you know, in when I see my patients in clinic, I see a large number of people who are struggling with those things. Um, and that is sort of the thing with healthcare is that, or working in healthcare, I'm not seeing just one group of people. Right. I'm taking care of everybody, regardless of race, gender, job, socioeconomic level. And the reality is, I think a lot more people are feeling struggle right now with COVID. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's why you have so many different groups coming together um, as an example, like for supporting Black Lives Matter. You know, people weren't getting out and getting loud about that issue because they were living their lives and they were comfortable. Right. And they didn't feel that. Right. But when we have a time right now where so many people are at home, if they're lucky enough to have a job that they can stay home or that they have financial means to be able to stay home, like that's excluding all the um, essential workers. Right. And those people are scared too. Um, but we are in a time where we are forced to slow down mm-hmm. and we are sort of alone with our thoughts. We're not out running around with our friends. It's freaking a lot of people. It is. And it is really causing people to see and feel other people's experiences and to wrestle with their own and to realize how fragile 
their position is. Right. You know, my I, I feel like I am a super lucky person that I have a great job, I have a wonderful husband, you know, all of these things. Well, right when this happened, you know, when hospitals closed down, and my husband's an ER nurse, he got furloughed. Yep. Well, I can't pay our mortgage by myself. Right. How were we going to put food on the table? Right. And he was incredibly lucky that he got to, you know, reach out to different departments within the hospital and scrounge together enough shifts and doing alternative jobs besides working in the ER, which you just think, wow, ER nurses are getting furloughed right right now. They are. Yeah. Um, And so he was able to cobble together and essentially full-time hours but what if he couldn't? Right. What's the security in that? There's not. And, and you know, I don't have a massive savings account. I'm not independently wealthy. Right. Um, and I was really fortunate that I got my tax return back around that right. same time, too, so that I had a little less anxiety over being able to keep my kids in the house that right. we have and to put food on the table. And, you know, I don't... I am somebody who is, I'm certain, considered very middle class. And if I feel it, I know there's a lot of other people who do. Right. And that's, I I have been fortunate as well in that I was in the position that I was whenever this all hit, that I actually got furloughed instead of my job closed. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm barely a year removed from have been, I would have been in a position that I don't know, I don't know what would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um and you know that I've I've engaged in conversation with people in the last couple of weeks that have started to exhibit this um, you know bootstrap mentality of mm-hmm. well yeah it's hard on everybody you just kind of gotta buck up you know it's that, it, it's harder on some people yeah um, I mean for all intents and purposes I'm a completely capable very intelligent I can I, sh- I can go do anything mm-hmm. um, but whenever I started looking at job boards just out of you know curiosity with re- with regards to fear of um, security in my job a lot of the ones that I was qualified for suddenly also had a bachelor's requirement pinned to them and I didn't finish yeah so suddenly I'm not qualified for jobs that I've been qualified for for years mm-hmm. um, everything pivoted the perspective shifted and suddenly I wasn't secure at all mm-hmm. um, and I know that I'm very fortunate. I know that I have a lot that a lot of people do not. Um, and that's kind of part of why we, why we are focusing on, on um, homelessness as far as like a, a philanthropy for us. But to get back to, to the issues at hand, I'm curious as to what you've been able to witness from, especially from the stance of, of a political campaign in the midst mm-hmm. of, as you mentioned, Black Lives Matter. I'm one of those. I thought I had a decent handle on American history, race, uh, race issues, racial equality, um, up until, um, George Floyd was murdered and, um, their, a wake up call took place. And I don't, I don't even really recall, um, what story I was reading, but it was, it was in between learning about, um, seeing the George Floyd incident unfold, learning more about the Breonna Taylor, um, murder. And then, just other little things popped up in my periphery and something pointed me to 13th, um, the documentary on Netflix. That's a great documentary. It completely imploded my worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I did not realize how much of my worldview was based on a complete fabrication. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, there was a period of, of a couple of weeks there where I wasn't really sure what what I had been believing. I, you know, questioning who I am as a person in general. Like, have I really been? Who have I hurt in ways that I didn't even realize because of any kind of implicit bias that I had lived by? Mm-hmm. Um, so to come back to the the idea of racial breakdown in the third district um it's 82 percent white yeah it is 15 percent hispanic or latinx mm-hmm. and then less than five percent of every other racial demographic mm-hmm. that one can fill out in a census mm-hmm. um i'm sure there's a conversation to be had there about gerrymandering mm-hmm. um but more importantly i'm curious as to how we as a community um not only focus on how we can not only focus on healthcare situations and, and obviously that's a multifaceted issue that's never going to be handled in one conversation. No. Um, it, unlike, I mean, it, it's, it's so pervasive in, in so many different ways too than any other conversation. Um, so without getting bogged down in that mire, how can we, how can we take that same mentality of pointing out the inequities of it and put that conversation into the racial equality that is, the racial inequality rather that is so pervasive in mm-hmm. Northwest Arkansas as well. I think it is a, it is a moral issue and it is asking people to give their neighbor equal justice under the law. They're not asking for special treatment. They're not asking for any kind of special considerations. What they're asking for is equal justice and you know that's that moves beyond just police brutality that's making sure that schools are equitable so that you know it doesn't you know i think of the american dream is that anybody can succeed no matter where they came from well we live in a time where where your zip code is more often than not determines what your future is and i don't believe that that's right and i don't think that most arkansans think that's right i think that they want everyone to have opportunity so that anybody who puts in the work and the effort can can succeed right you know i don't i don't believe that people are asking for free stuff or hands out they're asking for an opportunity right and you know beyond um, education and healthcare. It's ha- housing access. It is making it. It's public safety as well. Like making sure that there's clean water and clean air and sidewalks that you can go outside and go for a walk and that you don't live in a food desert. And all of those things are affected by policy. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you said that because that's the word that I wanted to. Use. I I think a big source of misinformation and contentious discussion is in the idea of defunding the police mm-hmm. and the dismantling of um, the systemic racial uh, disparity within the the uh, law enforcement mm-hmm. system. Um, so how how do you see um, a, a viable path on the 
route of defund the police and what's your stance on on that whole topic with regards to and just to be clear whenever I say it so that Mm -hmm. so there's no miscommunication on what what I mean whenever I'm having this discussion defunding the police in my opinion and I think in a lot of people's opinion um, has nothing to do with the eradication or abolishment of police forces as much as it is understanding that they've typically got overbloated budgets that are used on things that don't necessarily actually serve the community and what I mean by that is uh, I saw a, a meme on the the internet the other day of a, a gentleman that was clearly having a rough time and that was nude on top of a houseboat in a karate stance <laughs> and there's a police officer responding and you can tell that nothing good's going to come from the situation no. and and as I mean that's no one's fault that guy's in a rough spot whether yes. he's intoxicated or there's a mental health issue at play yes. there's something going on there and there's absolutely nothing wrong with a police officer responding to it for the public safety but is that officer properly equipped and trained to deal with those things i say across the board probably not mm-hmm. wouldn't it be beneficial if we took some of that militarized equipment budget and had a social worker or a mental health expert or something like that on the police staff that can help respond to those specific types of things. That's what I mean whenever Mm -hmm. I'm saying defund the police is let's make sure that the budget that we're allowing them to operate under that's paid for by our tax dollars or government subsidies actually goes to good community service as opposed to opening the opportunity for these people to get in positions of power that they then abuse. And that's where we get these massive situations of police brutality. Mm-hmm. And and I do think that what you're saying is correct. Like when I think of conversations that I've had, like with the mayor and the police chief in Bella Vista, you know, they talk about one of their bigger struggles being dealing with mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, regardless of what you think about this sort of slogan of defund the police, I'm going to just ignore that. But what I do think that what we need to do right now is ask the question, are we asking too much of law enforcement? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is yes. Absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I think that we have to think about the public good Mm -hmm. and i think you know they have to be accountable for the taxpayer money that that they have right and be good stewards of resources well is this the best use of our resources no and correct i i'm or i shouldn't say correct it's not a quiz but i agree with you that that is not the correct use of our resources i think that we need to step back and look at is there a better way to do things that really meets the needs of our community Mm -hmm. instead of criminalizing substance misuse and mental health problems right and then the there's a million other another a million other conversations you can go into with regards to the cycle that takes place when the the judicial system gets involved and substance Mm -hmm. is involved and it, it, that's a whole nother rabbit hole mm-hmm. to go down, but I am curious how, what path you see, you know, if, if, if this was your job, if mm-hmm. this was the, the task laid on you, what path do you see as a viable one to address these issues within specifically Arkansas, um, mm-hmm. law enforcement agencies, but obviously the influence that you would have in Washington as well. What, which way do you see this going in a way that doesn't, um, 
ostracize law enforcement Mm -hmm. as much as reforms them in a good way and also deals with the very temperate, the very, not temperate, but the very temperamental um, political climate of these conversations Mm -hmm. wherein, I mean, we've seen it locally where if someone does something that they think is, is well intended to involve law enforcement in a community way, if mm-hmm. it if it wasn't voiced the right way or done at all, there's contention there. So, mm-hmm. what's that balance, and and how do you see, what what kind of path do you see to kind of take a step in that direction? One, I think we have to be willing to have hard conversations, mm-hmm. and you have to get everybody at the table, mm-hmm. and you can't just leave part of the group out. Right. Um, and I think it also goes back to the sort of thought that I'm going to say something that upsets somebody at some point sure. and every human being will do that. And that we really have to have a lot more grace and nuance in our conversations, which that is aside, that's not a policy issue, but that's just a personal um, perspective. But I think that, you know, most of the law enforcement officers that I know are pretty good people. Sure. And it's not about individuals who are good or bad, but it is about making sure that we have a system in place that keeps everybody safe and that everyone has equal um, rights underneath the law. And, And certainly, I don't think that police officers, if you ask them, would want to be the judge, jury, and executioner. Right in a situation that they are called to. And it is it is putting policies in place that help keep them safer, as well as certainly making sure that whoever they are interacting with is also safe. And I think, you know, I don't have a problem with banning chokeholds. Like, that seems right. like a pretty low bar. Right. Like, uh, yeah. and, and making sure that they also have, you know, I love the idea of having a social worker within the police department. I think that's a fantastic idea. So I think that you started to touch on another aspect of this that I think needs to be part of the um, topic addressed in that, um, you know, how, how do we also need to, we also need to restructure how we hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is way better to hold someone accountable if you know that you've given them the, the tools so I wouldn't put a person behind the bar and then scream at them for not making the drink correctly if I never gave them the opportunity to learn how to make the drink the right way. Yes. So how easy would it be, it seems to me from the outside looking in, pretty easy, how easy would it be to legislate um, percentages of budget to go to training? Why can't we make sure that these officers are put, I mean, the, the, there's there's graphs out there flying mm-hmm. all over the place of like, this is how long it takes a barber to get done, like, and it dwarfs the amount of time like for all intents and purposes, I could go to FPD right now and pass the physical test, take mm-hmm. the take the exam, and I could go be a, a police officer, given that I hit these minimums. Mm-hmm. I'm not knocking the system because I didn't create it and I don't know what all it entails, but it seems pretty easy. What kind of opportunities are there? Is there any precedent for these opportunities in bigger metropolitan areas or whatever for us to kind of say, listen, those guys over there are doing it really well, and this is a good benchmark minimum to kind of make sure that everybody's held at a higher standard and therefore more accountable for their actions. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. 
And I think, you know, I think of my own career as a nurse. There are basic standards of education and continuing education that as a professional, I must do in order to keep the public safe. Because, you know, writing prescriptions for things, it would be really easy for me to make a terrible, terrible error. Oh, and even some of those are even just as easy as a typographical error. Mm-hmm. And so I think of like systems that are in place to help prevent that, you know, beyond my own individual accountability and my own continuing education. It is using a system that double checks me so that I review what medications a person is on and their allergies. And even if I miss it, if I prescribe something they're allergic to, then I get a, an alert on the computer that says, hey, right. this person is allergic. Are you sure you want to do that? Mm-hmm. And we need to kind of build in a process that helps helps law enforcement officers do their job. Right. And I, I think that, I, I mean, again, this is just another discussion we're going to agree on. So, <laughs> but it's... Uh, I think that if you have a if you have a law enforcement agency that knows these are the lines that we're drawing and this is the training you're going to get to make sure that you can step over that line appropriately and this is the accountability you're going to meet if and when that you cross a line mm-hmm. um no exceptions um there I feel like that should be a pretty easy minimalization of the the negative effects of quote unquote, bad cops. Mm -hmm. And I also want to say that, you know, maybe some of these things that we're asking of them to respond to are because we as a community have failed to meet the needs of our community, meaning we don't have enough mental health care providers. Well, I feel like we kind of touched on this Mm -hmm. prior to recording, too. We're talking about um, how the existence of so many different nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. or uh, community support organizations that are out there and the fact that they're all one in existence and two able to coexist in the same market, meaning that they're not running out of work or project to work on mm-hmm. um, screams of ineffectiveness of our society as, as we have come together in these communities. Have you read sapiens? I have not. You need to here. And here's why. So the reason that I bring it up is because the way that society has come to be in this modern time is completely unsustainable just on the most basic mm-hmm. level. But if you break it down and um, the guy's name is, um, I'm going to mispronounce it. You've all know a Harari. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I, I don't know. It was a where. New York times bestseller for a while. It's a, it's a hard read. It's mm-hmm. a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taken me too long to finish it, but I finally did. Um, effectively though, he points out all these little blips in, our evolutionary past where we made decisions that forced us to be where we are here now. Yes. And one of the things that occurred over time was when we started agreeing to be together in groups of more than like 150 at a time. Mm -hmm. At about 150 people in a community, everything starts going a little crazy. Well, whenever you've got a community of Arkansas, for example, we're sitting at a real smooth three mil. Mm -hmm. Even in as big of a space of land that we take up, it's not, it's not, just copacetic it can't just be um and so like these are the things we have to deal with these things because we created this problem yes and there's a lot of people that 
don't want to have the hard conversations and they don't want to dig into the meat of why the problem exists. And then they get sloughed off on people that have empathy. Because what happens whenever you see someone like I've got a nonprofit organization. I, we've got a great local example of a guy that just got himself into a nonprofit status so that he can do good work in the community. Why did he have to do that? Because he saw a need that he felt like he could fill. And that was what his call was. He needed yes. to go do that thing. Why can't he get appropriate support? Well, because we don't care as a community about no. that thing that he's looking at. Mm -hmm. He's the only one looking at it and wanting to fix it. Mm -hmm. We all know that it exists, but we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't talk mm -hmm. about it. It's that, well, you know, like homelessness. Well, you know, there's a homeless guy on the corner. Mm -hmm. I, I gave him a couple bucks. Mm -hmm. Well, not cool. You probably fixed him for the weekend. Not yeah. like we have to address these things. I want to make sure that we hit all three of these points that we've got. So, but this segues well. So one of the things that that kind of started to get in the back of my head when we were finishing up talking about law enforcement or as we were kind of segueing away from it is the idea of accountability. And one of the things that makes law enforcement really hard to hold accountable tends to be, wait for it, unions. Mm -hmm. um, I know that that's obviously not as big a deal here as, say, New York, L.A., mm -hmm. what have you. But it, it kind of made me think of this idea of workers' rights. And I know mm -hmm. that's one of your big platforms, mm -hmm. and I want to make sure that you have a chance to talk about it where do we like where do you see arkansas generally speaking with regards to workers rights and remember you're talking to people that mm -hmm. are from the hospitality industry and we've yeah. we've seen the underside of it our entire careers and just dealt with it because that's what we wanted to do slash had to what do we really benefit from being a right to work state what benefits could we find if we had the opportunity to unionize and mm -hmm. are those even real are those even real conversations with regard to finding opportunities for us to protect ourselves as workers specifically those that are just fighting to be above the poverty line so i think that we need to have sort of a workers right like a bill of rights for workers okay. just some basic standards and number one, I would say, that would address a tremendous number of the problems that we have that nonprofits in this area try to address is a living wage. Right. You know, if you, if, if a person has a livable wage, they don't need Medicaid. Right. They don't need housing assistance. They don't need food assistance. We are creating a structure within our society or have created that forces people to be reliant mm -hmm. on social services and doesn't give them a pathway out. Right. And I, yes. And that it, is a huge problem. Yeah. And, you know, when you have a whole bunch of millionaires or billionaires, mm -hmm. The fact that that word exists just yes, makes my skin crawl. That don't pay their mm -hmm. fair share of taxes and really creates almost a class society. Mm -hmm. that, that people are struggling just to put food on the table, to keep a roof over their head, and they have zero hope that yeah. their children will have a better life. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wrong. Agreed. And we have to have more people in power who are willing to fight tooth and nail for better. Because we have a whole lot of people in Washington right now who are beholden to their large corporate donors mm -hmm. and don't give a damn 
about everyday Arkansans who are hurting. I can think of some names. I'm curious where we can fix that. How do we get money out of politics? So, you know, I, I think Citizens United was terrible. Right. I think we need some campaign finance reform. And you can't get somebody in office who says on the front end, I want to reform the way that money works in politics and gets there and goes, oh, but well, I guess I'll take it now, right. too, because they did before. Right. And like, we're not toddlers like wrong is wrong mm -hmm. and you have to draw a line and say okay you know i just think of a super basic saying that i grew up hearing all the time two wrongs don't make it right right and i think that we have to really hold our elected officials accountable for the decisions that they make and make sure that they are really representing their communities and their district. And, you know, obviously, I don't think that my opponent is doing that right now. You know, if I thought he was a doing a great job, I wouldn't be running for office right now. Right. I would be going to work, taking care of my patients, enjoying my kids, and having a glass of wine on the front porch with my husband in the right. evening. Which let's like, yeah, that's a pretty nice life. Yeah. But I am really frightened for the future of my children and not just my kids, but everyone else's kids. Right. Well, and that's part of that's that's been a motivating factor for, you know, the reason that I've become a little more involved in and in cognizant of what's going on around me is because I've got a four year old mm -hmm. and I had a similar reaction to waking up in November of 16. And I, at the time, I remember thinking, well, I'm kind of not surprised because, frankly, um, we're American and, frankly, we're idiots. And, um, you know, it, you know, it's a phase. I, he'll screw up big. They'll, he'll, they'll, get him, they'll get him out. The, I even kind of half, you know, opined about someone will make an attempt on him. Like, you know, I just didn't figure we'd get here. Now that we're here, we're seeing some polls. They are what they are, but we're still months out. Um, we're getting we're getting to see this game that we get to play every four years, where we get to the middle of the summer, right before the election, and there's this magical third person that shows up that everyone's you know, oh we should get behind them. I, I I don't even know much about Joe Jorgensen. I'm sure she's a wonderful woman. I don't need that extra distraction in a party that's already divided. Mm -hmm. There's already so many people on the other side of the line from the dumpster fire that's in Washington D.C. That all they need is that little bitty distraction to com that, that'll be the difference between somebody winning and somebody losing. And I'll be frank, I don't think Biden's much better, but I know he's not this bad. Mm -hmm. At the very least, I know that he's like, if he could last eight years behind Obama, if, if we could just lean back that direction for four years until we put together some good candidate, I, I could be a lot happier than the terror that, in, that just grips me when I think about four more years of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I understand wanting to, and like I said, I'm not here to bash on Womack, but after digging into his record a little bit, that guy hasn't done anything for me. No. I didn't vote him into office, but he hasn't done a damn thing for me. This is a man who I think of, and I, and I don't wish any personal ill will towards him at all. It is more about him doing his job, and I think of a time where he... Um, was at the county party fair 
over at the Republican booth, and I and a bunch of people were over at the Democrat booth, and he saunters over and just kind of smirks at the crowd. And there was a retired nurse sitting there, and she said, hey, Congressman Womack, I just got my uh, Medicare and Social Security stuff filled out, and I would really like to have some reassurance that that's going to remain there for me for the rest of my life. Right. And he said, well, why wouldn't it be? And she said, well, you just voted for the omnibus spending bill that added however many trillions of dollars to the federal deficit. Right. And I'm concerned about that. And he said, well, who told you that? And somebody else said, I read it in the paper, at which point he responded, fake news. <laughs> and It's right there. Yes. I can go read it. Yes. And then he said, did you read the actual bill? Did you read the bill? Did you? And I know he did not. I know. That, yeah. You know, like... like you know, and, and I feel like this was probably recently too, right? So this was probably was while he was sitting as a senior, the senior budget, uh, the senior budget member, mm-hmm. the senior committee, and, and then said to everyone, "I don't represent you people." Oh, cool. And I was trying so hard to stay out of the conversation, but at which point I said, "Actually, you do. You were elected to represent every single person." In the third congressional district, right. not just Republicans. Right. And he just doubled down on that. And, you know, that's the that's part of the terrifying thing that's happening is that it's not even about us anymore. It's about Republican, period. Yes. or Democrat, period. And that's wrong on both sides. Right. It's completely wrong. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you get elected, you, you don't just pander to the people that you think got no. you elected. Which is why I make a point of talking to people all the time who I know don't think that they agree with me. Right. Because the reality is that we all want the same things. Mm-hmm. The argument is in how do we get there? Yep. And, you know, it goes a long way if I just show up and listen to them and hear where they're coming from. And maybe they have a fantastic idea. Right. That, may, that I didn't think of. Right. But because I listen to somebody who sees things differently, that has their own set of different biases, it helps keep me in check. And then, you know, what happens if you happen to implement an idea that came from the right and they get to see that that was what happened? You know, like, yeah, I'm a Democrat, but this is an idea that I happen to get from someone on the other side of the aisle. And it might be a good thing for all of us to just consider it. That's the thing that drives me crazy about the division is that it's not even about us anymore. We don't, the U.S. generally speaking, doesn't look at the U.S. anymore. They look at this little bubble. They live in their echo chamber. Social media is the devil. Like I, it's, and I swear I've spent so much, I've wasted so much of my life on that. I just, I'm in the middle of a very long format conversation with a gentleman right now that he's trying. Um, he posted a thing. It was very racially charged. I pointed out that that wasn't very cool. And now here we are. He's having a conversation. So I don't want to just abandon it. I don't, you know what yes. I mean? Like more often than not, those echo chamber discussions turn into this, you know, let's just smash each other and forget about the actual topic at hand. He's actually trying to meet me. So I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's my duty to, he's not, he's not writing me off. He want, he's trying. Um, but that's why this exists is because I'm tired of this. It's not about us. Like I have great friends that do not see Black Lives Matter the correct way. Mm-hmm. I said what I said. They don't see these issues of morality the correct way. They want to politicize them. I can have a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. 
but that that person's still part of the community that I'm trying to be a part of. Yes. And just because I win the argument does not mean that they got canceled. They don't not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. They're still part of the discussion. I just happen to be on the up, What you know, just depending on what we're talking about. And, and the, the secondary point to that is that a lot of people get wrapped up in this facts and opinions thing. Facts are facts are facts, folks. Yes. And you can look at numbers if you want to, but if you only look at one side of the numbers and you don't look at all the math, you're wrong. Yeah. You don't get to you don't get to base your opinions on facts that just cater to your your collective biases. You mm -hmm. have to look at the big picture. Um, so the the one the last thing that I know that I really want to talk to you about, and I know that we're kind of bouncing around, but that's okay. That was the, that was the point. I want you to have the opportunity to discuss something that I know I don't know a damn thing about except for the medical knowledge that I have from my lost years in nursing school. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it's a point of conversation that Mr. Walmack has zero grounds to stand on, but I know for a fact that he's voted against them multiple times in his tenure in office. I want to hear what you think is necessary for the state of Arkansas to embrace as, your, as part of your platform when it comes to reproductive rights. Yeah. So, um, so I assume that by reproductive rights, you're talking about not just access to contraception, but also talking about abortion. Yeah, everything. Which that has been used for decades as a wedge issue to divide us against one another. Right. And the reality is that, you know, there are a really tiny number of people who think that everybody needs an abortion. Right. And there's a really tiny amount of people who think that it is not okay ever. Right. The rest of us are somewhere in the middle. Right. I am. I, I, first of all, it's not my place to tell you what you can or cannot do with your body. Um, but secondly, I have just enough medical knowledge to know that sometimes that's just need that needs that whether it's for the health of the, of the fetus or the health of the mother, yes. that's what needs to happen. And then secondarily, I know that there are situations that people get themselves into wherein it's in everyone's best interest to not allow this to take place, whether it be for their socioeconomics, their mental health, the, the health and future of that child. A million factors weigh into that. Yes. The only time that I ever have an issue with it is whenever it's being viewed as and used as a form of contraception. Yes, I I, I agree with your viewpoint. I and don't I don't think that that's a thing that should be done. You should you should have some responsibility in your actions instead of just seeing that as a I've got a back door. I can always just step mm -hmm. out. And I would, you know, I don't think that that is. I don't think that's prevalent. Exactly, and I think that really where the conversation needs to go is moving away from criminalization. Mm -hmm and talking about prevention. Mm -hmm. This is a healthcare problem. How do we prevent this? Well, I, that is not rocket science. Wasn't there an organization that was put in place that did a pretty good job of that? Yeah. What happened? We um, attempted to defund that. Mm. And the reality is that abortion right now, there are fewer abortions now than there were, I think it was 2017-ish, don't hold me to that. We had the lowest number of abortions ever and the re in the U.S. I was going to say nationally, right? Yes. Yeah. And that is because, because of the Affordable Care Act, mm -hmm. there are more women who have access to contraception. Right. And we also, you know, like I said, that's not a mystery how pregnancy happens. We also, though, there are some younger people who need some education on right. that. There's some older people that need some education. It, absolutely. On that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Having worked in healthcare for 23 years, 
Yes, that is a true statement. But age-appropriate, right. evidence-based education mm-hmm. and access to contraception reduces the number of unwanted pregnancies. And then on the flip side of that, we need to make it a whole lot easier for people to adopt children. Right. As an adoptive mother, mm-hmm. when we... You know, my husband and I, when sort of our journey there, you know, I wanted to go through the foster system and wind up adopting a child that way. Right. And he was really scared about having a child, falling in love with them, and losing that sure. child. Yeah, that's emotionally, that's a lot. That's heavy. Yes, which we did eventually do that. And, you know, we <laughs> went through all of that. And it is really hard. Um, but we have two beautiful girls that are, call us mom and dad now. Yeah. Yeah. But when we were pursuing private adoption, it was so icky. It was just, I mean, like, I know icky is like such a juvenile word, but there's not a a better word. There's a connotation with that. There was, you know, that we were told $40,000 for a white baby and $20,000 for a non-white baby. Wow. And that just feels like human trafficking. Right. And it is, it is gross. Yeah. And. So I'm curious, and maybe you didn't push the issue. Um, I would have because I'm an asshole. What did you ask the justification? Is it a matter of demand or a matter of quote unquote supply? It was, I believe, more of a demand. That if you want the white baby, you have to pay more for the white baby. That's wild. It, it's horrifying. Yeah. That's gut-wrenching. And that, that is not being pro-life. Right. Yeah. Well, and the, let's, okay, let's be fair here. And I don't know. Uh, obviously, you would know more because you started down that path or you've been down that path. I know that there are costs involved in this process. Yeah. There are administrative costs. There's medical costs. There's transportation. There's probably some lodging involved as well. Like, I understand that there needs to be money involved in this process. But there is zero justification for there to be a scale of money involved in this process. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, and it also reflects the fact that we're not supporting women. Fair. Yeah. You know, if if we had, you know, I think about my adoptive children and I think about their biological mother. She didn't have a chance. Right. I mean, she did not have a chance. And so many parents of kids who are in the foster care system struggle with addiction, mm-hmm. mental health problems. Abuse. Ab- yes. I mean, they are the ones who are perpetuating abuse. And oftentimes, they're just doing what they grew up in. Yep. They're repeating that cycle of chaos Hurt, and violence. Hurts. Yes. And I all and then when you throw poverty on top of that, mm-hmm. you know, I know I I know and love children who have had an experience where they know what it's like to be hungry. Right. In Arkansas. Yeah. Seventeen percent of the state is under the poverty line. Yes. And of that seventeen percent, one hundred fifty-one thousand of them are children of Black yes. or Latino or Hispanic descent. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when we say this, which is absolutely true, I think that part of the conversation that becomes painful and why you have some people who can't understand Black Lives Movement 
is because they're living in those situations too. Right. And they're hurting and they don't feel like anybody's hearing or helping them. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you have an anti-poverty agenda, then that is the, one of the biggest things that we can do to help reduce racism, which itself is a, is sure. a healthcare problem. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, a whole nother rabbit hole, you're right. Uh, the, the, the statistics that stack up against um, black indigenous indigenous and people of color when it comes to healthcare, both in, you know, insurance approvals for preventative care that could have saved their life. Yes. Um, it, it, there's a myriad stories of, um, you know, uh, say black blue collar workers that had a nagging issue. Well, they're blue collar, they work, they're sore, they're tired, they're yes. getting old, whatever. And then 18 months later, they find out that they've got stage four lung cancer. And if yeah. they would have been able to get that chest screen, if, if insurance would have let them have that x-ray, Yes. They might have actually saved their lives, not not, you know, gave them extra time, mm-hmm. not treated them into remission, saved their lives. Yes. But instead they died. Yeah. <sighs> um, the world is absolutely insane and it's it feels like it's on fire. Um, it does. I, I think that it does feel like it's on fire. And I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm on fire. Sure. And I think... You're picking up a big emotional load. Absolutely. And when I think about, like, why did I even become a nurse? Like, my... I'm one of those dorky people that, like, think about, like, what is my calling in life? What is my purpose in life? <laughs> I've been having an, a, a self, an existential <laughs> crisis of that myself. You're not dorky. Yeah. I think that's us. It I think is. A, I think there's I'm, a difference. It's a human thing. Yes. I think that the difference in variety or the difference in um, variability of intensity from one person to one, from the one person to the next lies in a level of self-awareness. Yes. I think that a lot of people go through these things and they just write them off as different feelings. They mm-hmm. write them off as different frustrations. They had a bad day mm-hmm. but those people i posit don't have a very good grasp on themselves because they're dealing with so yes. much other shit that's stacked up on top of them and against them that they don't even get a chance to feel who they are yes i agree with that and i i am by nature very self-deprecating so i i, I was called that i was called that just in the last 24 hours and it, it, but it's a thing like and i think that a lot i think a lot of it comes from a heart of service mm-hmm. i mean I, we, Bo and I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago that um, a lot of people find themselves in these positions that have, um, you know, inequitable emotional load because they feel drawn to it. Yes. They I, take up that cross because they feel like they need to. I am a nurse because I believe that it is my calling to reduce the suffering of humanity. And I felt that my job as a bedside nurse when I worked in the hospital was to reduce the suffering of that person in front of me, that individual, their family members, whoever it was that I was interacting with. Big part of why I went to nursing school for the same reason. And I think I can keep doing that and be happy and fulfilled. Or I can run for office and I can make a huge difference on a bigger scale that helps reduce the suffering of the people that I care about in my community. Even I, the people I don't care about in my community. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that resonates though. And I think that might be part of the reason that I was so like in, in doing the research that I did to do, to write a little, uh, exploratory investigative piece on WAMAC and then conversely doing to you, obviously there's not as much about you with regards to a political career right. out there in the world. 
Um, so I, it, it ended up becoming a little bit more of a personal biography that mm-hmm. I was reading and, and digging into more so than a voting record. Yeah. And um, I think that's why that I think that's why that you uh, why you stood out to me as such an obvious opportunity for change in, in the in the matter of details. We might not agree on every single thing, but no. at the very least, I feel like you represent the way that I think much better than he has ever. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I wanted to have an opportunity to, to have a discussion with you. I am curious, just because I know where you went to college. Yes. And I don't want to put you on the spot to draw a hard line by any means. But I think that, you know, to kind of go back and put a put a bow on the abortion and mm-hmm. the um, reproductive rights conversation, I am of a a very strong opinion that part of the reason this is a topic of such strong conviction mm-hmm. on either side of the line is because it's a topic wherein religion has seeped into 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 government. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you went to Southern Southern <laughs> yeah. Nazarene University, so funny story. Part that I don't think that I even told Stephanie in our communication. I would have gone to SNU if they had a football team. And they do now. They did. The se- <laughs> the, my second year at Arkansas Tech, they got their football team. And I was like, because I, w- I, I don't, don't quote me, but I think I had the opportunity for a full ride academically. And because I was part of a Nazarene, um, interna- not international, but national uh, uh, Bible quizzing team. Uh-huh. I traveled all the way. That like, is amazing. I, I've, I've, been to, I've been to competitions in, at Kankakee. Uh, is it uh, Olivet that's in Kankakee, Illinois? And then there's... Uh, or no, I guess, or yeah, and then the Olathe. There's a I, the school at Olathe, and and SNU. I, mm-hmm. I think I've been to every mid and Mid America. There's another one at Mid America. Yeah. So I think I actually have been to a, comp- a a Bible quizzing competition at every Middle America Nazarene college. That's funny. Um, and so yeah, I it's just funny. I saw that you went to SNU. So for those that don't know, uh, that might be listening, if if you're unfamiliar with the Church of the Nazarene. It's a really healthy 50-50 smash-up of Methodist doctrine and um, I just drew a blank, Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostal doctrine. Mm-hmm. So we have some like kind of strict rules. If you look into like the members' uh, bylaws, you're not allowed to dance. That's a thing. <laughs> um, but we are evangelical and we partake in, um, in communions. And so that's, that's the church that I grew up in. I, I no longer subscribe to any specific religion. But knowing that you have a religious background, at least mm-hmm. to a degree, that you got a degree from there, I'm curious how you see, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in the separation of church and state. And so I'm curious mm-hmm. how, you, how you see that and how you kind of rationalize in your own platform with your own personal stances mm-hmm. where you draw that line of. And obviously we agree on that specific topic, but I know that that's a big part of some of your opponents line is that they say, well, no, this is wrong. And then when you really start picking at them as to why they think abortion is wrong, period, full stop, it really ties back to a moral compass that's rooted in their religion that they've allowed to seep into their policy. So I think that certainly my moral compass does reflect a lot of my upbringing and, and my views on faith. But I think that we absolutely have to have a separation of church and state. And I would be, it is not my, you, you cannot legislate someone's religious beliefs. Right. That's the, we were founded and, on the freedom of, the liberty of religion. And I think that when it comes to abortion, I would be lying if I said that I personally don't feel conflicted on that. Sure. I do. But I will never, ever make that decision for somebody else. Right. 
And I think that that's I think that's a great way to say it. I think that that's the big point that I wanted to hear you say that I wanted you have the opportunity to say is that, that there, it's okay to have conviction and conflict. Yes. The problem that these types of topics, especially with regards to government and legislation, when they're a moral topic, abortion's a moral topic. Now, there's, I'd say there's, one, there's two ways to look at it. There's two ways to look at that. It's a medical topic. It, yes. is, it is a public health issue, first and foremost. And in my opinion, that's the only way that legislation should ever even be looked at. It's mm-hmm. a public health topic. But to a lot of people, it is a moral topic, too. And they really have a hard time. There's cognitive dissonance that takes place, mm-hmm. and they can't separate those two. So it's okay to look at it as a moral topic and go, ugh. Yeah. But from a public health stance, a legislation stance, you have to look at it logically and medically and make the right decision. And to acknowledge that there are a group of people who don't look at it as a moral issue in the same way. Right. They do see it as a moral issue, but not as a, you know, human being from the from conception perspective. They don't see it that way. Well, and and I'm not going to make I I cannot tell someone philosophically what they should believe sure that's yeah that's why we're here that's the beauty of where you live um you know and and i would certainly say i will do all that is in my power to reduce the number of abortions sure well and that's the thing but not to to make it an illegal activity that is that is not acceptable that's inflicting my own views on someone else right and you know again we know how to prevent that right and that's the thing. I think the difference. I think there's so much. A lot of the conversations that you hear from the opposition of, say, Planned Parenthood, since mm-hmm. that's the easy way to the easy reference to draw, is that they say, "Well, you we need to defund it because it's allowing this to happen." Well, if we defund it, it goes away. Not just the abortions, but also the education and prophylaxis that's mm-hmm. available through it. I know myriad women that didn't have health insurance that would never have had birth control. Their entire teenage and early adult life yes that needed birth control and not Mm -hmm. for any negative reason it's just that in that time of life you need access to it yes for for medical reasons there are multiple medical reasons that women need access to that type of hormone therapy and there's also it's and human beings are sexual beings exactly like why do you think that sex is so outrageous in america I know that's kind of out of left field, but I'm like that. That's the issue, right? In honesty, mm-hmm. if 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 it wasn't for the sake of sex, the the topic of discussion being so taboo, just in everyday mm-hmm. discourse, Which, we wouldn't be here. We're I was gonna say we're all here, so right. obviously somebody had sex, right? Because I exist, right? So I think that some of it is just our culture that we're uncomfortable with that. Do you think that it's just because we're uncomfortable? As Americans, I feel like a lot of I feel like that's a response to a lot of very fair conversations in the mm-hmm. sense. Okay, let's talk about race. That makes me uncomfortable. Let's talk about let's talk about finances. Let's talk about economic mm-hmm. disparity. Oh, you're talking about poor people. That makes me uncomfortable. Let's talk about gender inequality. Let's talk about transgender issues. Mm-hmm. People get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and then we just don't talk about it. How, yeah, is, how is that part of our culture? It's such a strange dynamic. And I know you don't is. have an answer, but, but, I'm, <laughs> but you know, I just don't, it's, it's so baffling to me that we live in this day and age where we have access to more information than we ever have before in our hands, yes. literally. But that's not knowledge. Right. Well, and touche. Yeah. That maybe that's the difference is that we don't, we're not educating it. Then that's, we, we had this conversation not long, Bo and I had this conversation not long ago about the difference between knowledge and mm-hmm. access to information. Mm-hmm. And we're not educating people no. at all. Our school systems are, are 
let's talk about it. That, that's not one that I, it's not a big thing for me, but I guess it should be in the next couple, in the next few years with my daughter getting into a more school edge thing. Where do you see Arkansas's uh, education system at the moment? And what, what, are, what do you think are your big talking points, especially being a mother of school age kids? Yes. What, so where are we failing? I think we need better. Um, so one, I think that we have, I'm going to start with pre-K. Sure. I think that we have to have universal pre-K. Um, I, it's expensive. Yes, that is the problem. I spend a lot of money. I My family couldn't afford a pre-K program and, for and my I, kids. So we did a Mother's Day out that was super cheap. But it's still not cheap if you're in a bad spot. Com- yes, you know, compared, it was com- comparatively compar- speaking. Right, right. And it was two days a week. Mm-hmm. And we could afford that. And it gave us a little bit of a break. And my husband and I worked opposite schedules. And we still do, which is great for the kids and it terrible for, for us. Yeah. Yes. You never see each other. We don't. Um, and yeah, even worse now when I'm running for Congress. I know we were going to have dinner tonight, but I'm going to talk to this other guy for a minute. Um, so yeah, that's the point. And you know, I want to half a, half a step back to say, I say, I say, I spend a lot of money. Me and my ex-wife spent a lot of money to make sure that our daughter has access. And and she's not even in, like you said, you know, Mother's Day, the being the scale there. Yeah. I know other people that spend ungodly amounts of money. Same amount as college tuition. Yes. Yes. For their three and four year old to go hang out for the day. And that's an economic issue as well. Like, how can you, like, if I, you know, and women tend to make less money per hour. Yeah. And so. Are we still at that like 66% mark? It depends on what we're talking about. If you're a Latinx lady, it's probably about 55 cents on the dollar for compared to a white man's salary. And women are close, like, a white woman is somewhere around 80%. I think for a black woman, it is, I can't remember now if it's 75 cents or it's less than, it's it's like 68 cents or something like that on the dollar. And it's obviously industry specific and all that kind of thing too. But the fact that it, that conversation exists is, is asinine. Yes. And so you think about like, well, if a, if a, if my husband and I, um, have similar jobs, but I make less, well, maybe I have to stay home. Right. Instead, I, and I, then my kid doesn't get. You know, we doesn't like get to, socialized. No, they mm-hmm. are not prepared for kindergarten. Right. They're not getting a quality pre-K education, mm-hmm. which we know that if a kid gets that, they're more likely to go to college. They're a better worker. You know, they're less likely to commit crime. Well, I would much rather invest that money in that child right. than pay you to house them in a prison later on. Where do you just? made me think of another one that let's stay for a second the what what's the what's the easy fix you've got the magic wand are we talking about a state-funded pre-k system do we wrap it into the public school system and just yeah i mean get we the have, right people to take care of that yes, age range i think that is the right way to you know i think that's a great way to go i also then don't want to like exclude private sure. um daycare pro- or child care providers that are doing a great job and i don't think there's they any reason to, to have... cut them out no and there's also no reason for the people that can afford it to not have the option yes but the but, existence of that option shouldn't preclude other people from having any option it's creating equity within our society right so that everybody has the same opportunities and then you know we have to have a better k through 12 or k through 12 mm-hmm. and and it you know, we're super lucky in this area that we have really great schools. We do. But I grew up in Goldtree, Oklahoma with 19 people in my graduating class. 
I did not have the same opportunities that somebody that's in Bentonville High right now had. Well, there's even, you know, and I don't, I won't, I won't be too malicious about it because I don't know details, but there's perceived, or I wouldn't think it, there's perceived inequity even within that school district. And not to single them out, you know, that, that applies to just about any school district in the area. But to your point of what about pick a small consolidated county school somewhere in rural Arkansas compared to one of these other school districts, that's a bad enough disparity to be in existence but then even within these other school districts there's disparity of note yes um you mentioned prisons and it made me remember the private prisons yes what do you uh what do you what do you what what do you have up your sleeve what do you want to do about that so what can we we, do about it we have to reform sentencing we we cannot i do not believe in private prisons where it is a profit to house people mm-hmm. i i just don't think that that's morally in mostly inhumane right. ways yes in mostly subpar yes. ways and it is it is completely punitive mm-hmm. there's no rehabilitation in that equation have you watched time i know you've got so much free time on your hands <laughs> i have not watched time the khalif browder story no i it's have not a, yeah, watched that it's a rough one um, I'm a crier too, so I'm sure I should I, get tissues if I'm going to watch I'm, that. I'm not much of one, and it got me. Mm-hmm. Um, on par with Thirteenth with with regards to the like the oh, power of yeah it. the oh my god that's really mm-hmm. happening. Um, the fact that it, that's a very specific situation. It has a lot of a lot of um, New York specific problems that mm-hmm. are uh, there, but it goes across the board, and we're getting ready to have private prisons in this state. But I think the underlying moral problem is that we're not valuing human beings yes absolutely i mean the details of his story just in the the event that you're not super familiar three years 16 to 19 was his age he was 16 to 19 of the three years he spent two different stints of over a year in solitary confinement I don't know any he of you. He committed list- suicide yes. later. Yes, yes. He ended I up- do know yes. this story. Um, it's it's, it's terrible because he, and it was like for shoplifting or something. He he, he was never charged. Yeah, he was, he was wrongfully never- accused of stealing a man's backpack, and was held in for three years in Rikers Island with never having been formally charged of anything. And then whenever they finally forced the prosecution to understand that they were never going to present a case and they needed to let him go, they dropped charges, let him go off Rikers Island at 2 a.m. with a bus card to get home. Yeah. And then for the next, I think, three years, maybe two, may have been, may have been shy of three years, um, it was a legal battle, ongoing legal battle trying to get, first of all, he was trying to figure out how to move on with life as a normal human being, mm-hmm. which he was never going to know ever again. But he did get into Bronx community. He got his GED. He got into Bronx community college and had a GPA of like 3.6 or something like that. He was doing everything he could, but the system sucked him back in and he ended up being um, charged with something. Um, it was something minor, but he knew he was going to have to go back to court. And his his family posits that the reason that he took his life was because he knew that he was just going to go back to Rikers and that he was never going to have a chance to get away from it. But the reason that he stayed for three years is because he refused to take a plea. He refused. He had every he had multiple opportunities to get out, and he refused because he was standing on the principle that he was innocent and it yeah. wasn't fair. It wasn't right that he was going through this, and people needed to know it. That shit happens everywhere, every day. 
And then, you know, the reason I keep coming back to the idea that I didn't realize, and to my ignorance, I didn't realize that private prisons had just been uh, approved, that there was approval for private prison in Arkansas until just recently. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm behind. Has that changed at all? Am I missing something? I I feel like the last time I looked at it, the approval was there. The money had been, the budget had been declared. And there's, there is. Is there opportunity to still stop it? There were some juvenile centers that were private as well and i think there was they got into some trouble and so there's there's some issues with that well, at this point but like it's just not a good idea it's not a good idea and then you go and then there, uh, the whole other issue you dig a little deeper and you go through the actual finances of the organization as it stands and that's where you start talking about literally modern day slavery yes where massive corporations open to the public knowledge are profiting hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars off cents for the hour labor from incarcerated people. Yeah. Try and tell me that we're not keeping them there for a reason. Yeah. How do you feel about medical marijuana? So I I will admit that as a healthcare provider, it makes me a little angsty. Mm-hmm. But I say I see no reason to criminalize that. Okay. I would never recommend everybody take up a marijuana habit, just like sure. I would never say, hey, go drink a whole bunch of alcohol. Right, right. And, and to that point, I don't think that everyone should. No. It is not for everybody. No. But there are certainly people that benefit from it. I would not dispute that. Do you think that Arkansas, given your knowledge of the way that they did it and the way that other people have already done it, do you think that we did it the best way we could have? Or do you, I am of the opinion that we did it in a way that was 100% fed by the bottom line. Yes. And that was not, and it did not have the medical aspect of it in mind or even the, the economic aspect because it's not going to be taxed the way that it could have been. Right. So I think that it should be legal. We should tax it and we should use that tax to go towards health care, mental health care addiction services and then i have to believe that to some degree we didn't really touch on it um in any kind of grave detail but with regards to national health care i have to mm-hmm. believe that you're a proponent for some type of universal system i think yes i think we need to move in that direction i think that where we need to be right now is to make sure that we have a public option that anybody can get right and you know you can start with automatic enrollment for newborns Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I've is that we're we're moving that way. Right. And you know, I I always pause in my concern for there are like 3.2 million people employed in private health insurance right now. Mm -hmm. I've got good friends that are part of that that statistic. I don't want them to all become unemployed. Right. So I would like to be able to move in a direction where everybody gets health care, but there's not this huge instability. I would have to believe that there would be a way, because if we're talking about any kind of actual universal system, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of how all all encompassing or comprehensive that is at the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, I would have to believe that that system is going to need people. So I would have to believe that there's a way to, if not legislate, at Mm -hmm. least open the door for um, hey, listen, we're moving this direction. Yes. And once we get this organization's skeleton put together, we're going to offer X percentage of our hiring to be from that private sector group because, one, you're already good at what you do. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have to train you to do what we're doing. We're just doing it on a different platform, and it's a state-run thing or, or a federal-run thing rather than that private one that you've been working on. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing is effectively going to be the same thing. I have to believe there's a way that we can structure it to have that security for the people that have been in the private sector this entire time. This isn't an attack on them. They're no. people trying to make a living. Absolutely. 
they just happen to be making a living on a system that tends to be not so great for the common good. I would agree. Um, and that's not even a, that's not even a slight to them because there's no. a, that's a multifaceted thing too because you can aim guns at big pharma, you can mm-hmm. aim guns at insurance, you can aim guns at just bad agency, mm-hmm. um, you can aim guns at, at best practices. Mm-hmm. The, it, it, it's, it goes back to my point about you know the idea the the sapiens thing where 150 people tops. It's too much now. We're not, none of these are, like you said, uh, having the opportunity and the willingness to have hard discussions. That's going to be key because nothing is easy anymore. No. And as long as we have these little black mirrors in our hands, they're going to continue to progressively get worse or progressively compound anyway. Get worse isn't fair, but they're not going to get any simpler. No. Um, what, what, I, we're hitting close to an hour. I'm not in a rush, but I know that you're a very busy woman and you've probably got someone that you need to get back to, at least some little ones that are ready to say hi. Um, what's, what's your outtake? What's the, what's the, you know, this is, I'm Celeste Williams and this is why I, I would love your vote. And then where can people find you on, you know, social media and websites and, and the like? So I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our webpage is CelesteWilliamsForArkansas.com. And I would love for anybody listening to this to go to my website and check me out. And I would also then ask them to do their due diligence and look at Steve Womack's page as well and and compare and contrast and figure out who best represents your values and you think would fight for what you need in your community. Um, You know, I think there are a lot of people out there who maybe historically have not been comfortable voting for a Democrat. Maybe they've never voted for a Democrat, but I bet that they know a nurse, and so I'm asking them to vote for a nurse. And if there were ever a time that we need somebody who understands public health, right right now. You're trying to tell me that I shouldn't be motivated by the lack of football to put a mask on? No. Oh, it's for the health. That's crazy. I'm so sorry that this is what it is. It's come to this. You know what I mean? And But to that point, if it hadn't, where would you be? We, we wouldn't be talking. You wouldn't be no. running to, 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 to try to make the change. So no. for, for your time, your all your energy and effort, thank you, thank you. If there's ever anything that we can do to help you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Um, yeah, I thank you so much for your time. Man. Thank I, you. We'll, we can wrap it up there. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Have a good weekend. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed that discussion. Please feel uh, compelled to go and do some de- do some research. Uh, read up on Celeste. Read up on Steve. Um, before I let you go, though, I wanted to bring uh, some good work to light, as we're going to make a habit of doing. Um, this weekend, or this week, I wanted to uh, draw attention to Seven Hills. Um, I know that we talk about homelessness a lot these guys are going to be the people that we shine light on on a regular basis because that's what they do. Uh, little little tidbits of info for you to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about. Um, Seven Hills is a homeless shelter slash program nonprofit that serves all of Northwest Arkansas based here in Fayetteville. Their programs are designed to help their clients improve and develop skills and provide them with opportunities necessary to obtain and maintain stability. They're trying to help people get to a better sustainable spot in life. Just so you can have an idea of how prevalent homelessness has become in Northwest Arkansas, any given day, 271 people in Northwest Arkansas are experiencing homelessness. Any given day, 32 new people are at risk for becoming homeless. This isn't something that's 
hundreds of miles away. It's in our backyard and it's really easy to help, um, remedy it. I actually just filled out my volunteer, um, application and submitted it today. I also registered for their, uh, run for vets, uh, yearly walking slash running fundraiser that's happening this weekend. You can actually sign up for it as we speak. Um, the it's a it's a virtual run this year given the covid issues fifteen dollars all the money goes to seven hills there's a small processing fee i think it came out to less than 19 bucks once they charge my card you download an app on your phone and you go walk and it's just it it's 15 bucks you're going to spend that on a cocktail if you go to the right bars so um, if you want other information you want other opportunities to go and help them Go to sevenhillcenter.org. That's the number seven, H-I-L-L-S-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. If you go to um, their volunteer page, you've got an opportunity to sign up for multiple different ways to volunteer your time and energy, or you can go to their donate page. If you're not the type that wants to go run, that's fine. Go donate a little bit of money if you're if you're able to. Um, this isn't a guilt trip. It's just, hey, help your, help your neighbors out. Ten bucks, as little as ten dollars will help three people get a month's worth of good groceries. That's a big deal. And we spend, you know, those of us that have the uh, the ability to $10 is nothing. That's, that's a tip. Um, if you're able to give more, more examples of how big your dollar impacts, $25 will support five people's prescription needs for a month. $50 will assist three people with transportation to work and their doctor's appointments to help them stay in a stable spot. Um, so please go check out seven, the number seven, H-I-L-L-S-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G, sevenhillscenter.org. Learn more about them. Um, hopefully, we'll be sitting down and talking with some of their people soon and helping shed some light on the homelessness situation in Northwest Arkansas. And thank you again so much for tuning in to A Neat Dram. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks.